This is episode 448 of the Macworld podcast for March 18th, 2015. As the digital grains of sand of time pass through the e-hourglass, so too are the days of our lives as we wait for the Apple Watch. Meanwhile, we've got other things to talk about first. I'm Glenn Fleischman, senior contributor at Macworld, and I'm joined, as always, by executive editor Susie Oaks. Hello, Susie. Hi, Glenn. Hey there. And later we will be joined by the group editor of IDG Consumer and SMB, John Phillips, to talk about his bloated watch theory. But we're going to start out <laughs> with, uh, yes, that'll be I'm just leading that in. So you got to stay tuned, folks, to hear about bloated watches. Uh, we're going to start out with news that came out uh, just before we recording this about uh, Apple TV. No longer quite a hobby. It's turning into something real. Susie, this broke at night when we were trying to get to sleep. What's what's going on with uh, with <laughs> Apple and uh, television as we blurrily try to figure this out? Well, we've been hearing rumors for a long time that Apple wants to do its own streaming TV service. Um, Sony just launched one. There's Sling TV. So Apple wants to get in on this game, and they've been working on it, I guess, for a while. So, But now the rumor has uh, spread, and it's uh, the Wall Street Journal reported on it last night. And when they report on something, it's probably going to happen. Um, and they say that it's going to launch in the fall. And that confirms a report that 9to5Mac had earlier. So it's, it's, you know, it's starting to seem a little more real. So they're, they're talking to a bunch of TV networks and they want to do kind of just a mini cable package. Um, the, it says about 25 channels. It'll have some of your, your networks like ABC, CBS, and Fox. Um, right now, I guess they're not talking to NBC because um, NBC is owned by Comcast and Apple and Comcast had been working on a different project to do kind of a set-top box, like a cable set-top box that was also an Apple TV. And that didn't work out and they no longer like each other. So <laughs> that is the, that's the rumor right now. So this is big for cord cutters. Um, you know, last year they had... Um, Oh man, I'm blanking on it. What was Aereo? Yes. Cord cutters had Aereo and they could watch some um some TV that way. And now we have Sling TV, which I think is is that $20 a month or $25 they a have month? Different packages is the thing. Like yeah. Sling is Sling is an interesting offering because they have kind of they're they're appealing to different market segments, right? So they have a basic mm -hmm. package that is yeah, it's $20 a month or $120 a year for the basic stuff. But then if you want to add more, uh, it's got, uh, what does it include? It includes ESPN, ESPN2, AMC, Food TV, HGTV, IFC, TNT, and El Rey. Uh, and then if you want uh, more, you pay, oh gosh, they, that's, this is where it gets complicated. This is why you like uh, simple models. You get um, right. yeah, $20 a month, you get a whole huge actually array of stuff, including like Adult Swim and ESPN and so forth. You can add a bunch of sports stuff for $5 a month. There's kids things like Disney Junior XD uh, that you can add for $5 a month. You can add Sundance TV and Epics and so forth for $5 a month. You can add World News and Lifestyle. So they have a bunch of packages. And you, But, but the thing is that um, this is the... The not exactly the a la carte model. Uh, there's been efforts in Congress for years to try to unbundle cable because you mm -hmm. have to buy a lot of stuff you don't want. And that's how the cable and uh, other TV providers have managed to have high margins is they pay very, very little for some of the stuff they uh, carry and quite a bit for others. And some of it is now self-produced like Comcast, NBC, there's cost conservation inside the company. So I know there are members of Congress working for years to try to force through 
unbundling. So you'd only pay for what you wanted. But the cable market was um, did not like that because... Or the TV, I shouldn't say TV, we keep calling it cable, but the whole television to the home market, the non-over-the-air market. So IP-based TV or you know over fiber uh, or cable, traditional cable television and satellite, actually, for that matter. Uh, they were saying, you know, if you unbundle it all, it all becomes unprofitable because some channels cross-subsidize others. So Sling is like a little bit of an unbundling, and it sounds like Apple, t the Apple TV package... Uh, won't be much different. We don't know yet whether they'll offer a la carte, but I'm guessing it's going to be a bundle that that will be required, that they'll have to take, um, you know, if ABC has uh, its main, uh, like, primetime stuff and regular broadcasting uh, programming, uh, they're also going to make them take other programs and channels as well. Yeah, yeah, this isn't exactly a la carte, but it's getting a little bit closer. And with when you're when you've cut the cord and you have like an Apple TV or Roku, especially on a Roku, Roku's got um, just hundreds of channels and you can get all these little niche, you know, very focused things. Like if you're just into wakeboarding, there might be a Roku channel that's just about wakeboarding. So that's kind of cool that, you know, you can still, you don't have to have a big cable package that has 300 channels in order to find these like really narrow interest things. Um, because yeah, it's the big, it's ESPN and, and the big channels that, that, is what you're paying for in a cable package. So if you don't like sports and you never watch ESPN, um, it might annoy you that so much of what you, you're paying for, for cable goes goes there. So so this is a cool alternative. Um, I, Sling has been, has been growing. It just launched recently, but they're announcing new channels all the time. They just announced this morning, like 20 minutes before we started, they were adding A&E um, to their channel lineup. Oh, so, that's big. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I'm looking at their site just as we're talking about this. I wanted, I was refreshing which uh, channels they offered, and I thought, you know, I don't remember them offering a bunch of these. And yeah, so they're, clearly... they're adding them. They added AMC a couple of weeks ago, and so even just from when it launched, it's it's been growing pretty quickly. But Sling is not offering local programming, is the no. thing, and they're relying on over the air OTA. Um, we've we've talked. I think MacWorld's written reviews over the years in TechHive about. Uh, ways to bring in uh, OTA programming. And uh, I've had an IT, ITV, that's E-Y-E TV, for years and years. I have the oldest one that does a single channel at a time, and you can get new quad tuners. You plug it into your Mac, uh, and, I th and it supports other platforms as well, of course, but we're the Macworld podcast. Uh, <laughs> you plug it in, and uh, I've got a dedicated Mac Mini. That's our entertainment console. And that thing, I had to put, we're, we're in a TV uh uh, antenna shadow or signal shadow. We're right by the hill that on the top of the hill, we're at the bottom. The top is where the antennas are. So we're in the shadow. So we had to get someone, and this sounds so primitive, to, we had to hire someone to go up on our steep roof and put an HD antenna up there. Uh, <laughs> in many cases, you can use an indoor uh, DTV antenna to, uh, to pick up signals and pop it into this. So you can actually get OTA with a, a box that doesn't cost that much or a tiny little thing that can record four channels at once or tune four different channels and get an inexpensive indoor, maybe even powered DTV antenna and get all that programming. And I, I forget the coverage, but I think it's somewhere between 75 and 80% of America can pick up most of the, or, or all of the broadcast channels or all the major networks, I should say, plus uh, public television. Then you start to get into these peripheries, people out, far enough outside of city, places where there aren't repeaters or rural areas. So that's already essentially free with kind of a one-time invested cost if you've already got 
you know, a computer set up to do it or willing to devote a computer or occasionally plug it in. Um, and then this is now the alternative. You've got broadband. You can bring in the cable channels. And, and Sling, to me, seems like that's the, the one, too. Like, you use OTA for some stuff or you use the the sites, the MBC site, or you get a, a Hulu subscription, Hulu Plus, rather. Yeah. You get some programs and then Sling supplements. But um, the Apple bundle sounds much more like an alternative if they're going to have the uh, you know ABC and, and CBS uh, mainstream programming on it as well. Yeah, I cut the cord almost two years ago when I moved um, to my house. And I don't have an antenna because we're also at the base of a hill. Um, I tried to put one up and it didn't really work and I haven't um, you know figured out why. So just kind of gave up because I, we have Netflix and we have Hulu and we have HBO Go. So that's that's kind of enough. Um, my husband really likes sports. We have an Apple TV and it has ESPN on it. We don't have a login for it because we don't have a cable subscription. But he is still um, he's he's still watching enough. Like there's enough in there for free. And then if there's something really big, um, he, he's had to go to a bar a couple times. So Sling, <laughs> Sling is oh, no. attractive because it has ESPN, but it's not even all the games on ESPN. Right. Like some of that ends up being blacked out. So you just get a lot, a lot of Sports Center, And he can get clips from Sports Center on the Apple TV for free and then kind of skip around to just the ones he's interested in. Because this I'm, is becoming complicated. We need like a... We need yeah, to have it's a, super complicated. Well, this is... I remember, was it Matt Howie had a site? It was a DVR or PVR blog, like personal video recorder blog. Mm-hmm. Um, back when um, there was sort of this split between uh, the replay and uh, TiVo and other devices coming out, and he was documenting all the intricacies of what you could get from what device. I feel like we need a channel selector. I know Google actually offered something. I don't know if it's part of Google TV. You can access it separately. Our uh, our friends at uh, Green Dot probably know more about that. But the, um, uh, it was a way where you could see what was on everywhere that you could get online. Yeah. And I feel like we're going to need a tuner where it's it's like, all right, what do I watch or what am I missing? Because uh, my wife totally. and I cut, we cut the cord eight years ago because our bill just kept, you know, this is a typical thing. We're paying $50 a month and we look at the bill one day. And we're like, why are we paying 70? We watch, you know, uh, we had small children. We weren't watching much. We had uh, Netflix at that point and, and we're doing some iTunes. We're like, this is ridiculous. So I, I estimate we've saved probably three or $4,000, even with uh, having, you know, we've kept our Amazon prime, which saves and shipping, but also added streaming. We use that all the time. Oh we yeah. We've got Netflix. that too. Yeah. So we have Netflix. We sometimes will, I'll buy, um, you know, maybe I'll buy a Saturday night live on iTunes. If I'm irritated with the Hulu quality, then I've got the ITV for, for ITV, OTA, uh, <laughs> M-O-U-S-C. Will Disney be in this? Uh, so yeah, I feel like there's so many options that now I, I feel slightly paralyzed sometime or there's a thing where you're like, oh, I want to watch this program. It's like, where, where do I find, uh, there was this great uh, mystery series, I think uh, shot in Australia maybe. And, um, I don't think it's here yet. I'm blanking out the name of it, but it's, uh, uh, it's, everyone's talking about it and I could not figure out where to get it. Could I get it on DVD? Could I yeah. stream it? And I think it's simply not available yet, but there's no easy way to say, tell me if this program is currently on the air, what episodes are available and what system I need. So we're going to, that, that would be a great exactly. tool for IDG to develop, obviously. Uh, yeah. <laughs> some smart young company could pop up with uh, pop-ups on that. So, well, there is a website um, called Can I Stream It? Mm. And it's it's actually better for movies. You can right. search for movie titles or TV shows and it'll tell you if they're on some of the big streaming services like Netflix, Hulu, Amazon, I think Redbox, um, Crackle. 
good old crackle. Um, so it, it's it's better for for movies because you know a movie's just a movie, and if you enter a TV show, it wants to know like what season you're looking for and what episode, and you're like, well, I don't care. I just want to know like you know where I can watch Law and Order. So. So that helps a little bit. I keep a reminders list in, in my phone. So when people mention a show, I'm like, oh, yeah, because it's it's different when you don't have a cable subscription just piping this stuff in your house. Yeah. You have to kind of go and seek it out. So when you hear about something, you have to write it down. Then you have to go find out where you can watch it. Um, the Fire TV actually does this a lot better than the Apple TV. That's what I've heard. People speak. Yeah. I, I was asking about, like, look, if I was to replace my Apple TV, because the, the fact this is that horrible thing of the of it's not a proprietary nature but it's where the business models conflict it's like i can get hulu on my apple tv i think i can get hulu on fire tv too right isn't that on there but i can't get apple on my fire i can't get amazon on my apple and i'm like i know they have competing business models but it means do i need really need to have a fire stick and whatever I, the the solution was i bought a samsung tv which is uh, as buggy and crashy as I'd, I'd hoped it would be. Uh, my children say of our Samsung television, it's only uh, like a less than a year old, the television lies because it'll say it's doing something it doesn't. We have to turn it off, turn it on. But it has built in Amazon in the TV. It has built in Amazon and Netflix. So we preferentially will use the Apple TV for Netflix and all the Apple stuff. We'll use our Samsung TV's internal firmware to access Amazon. And then we have a Mac mini for OTA and Hulu and some other stuff that we can't access. But that seems sort of ridiculous, doesn't it? It is. It's totally ridiculous. I have all of them because I used to review them. So I have the Fire TV hooked up. I can watch Amazon on that. My son watches a lot of Amazon on the iPad. Um, Netflix, we usually on, just watch. Yeah, yeah, Amazon Prime. I mean, gosh, that saved us. Uh, we've had years of like essentially gotten, I feel like thousands of dollars of free kids programming by having Yeah, there's Amazon almost Prime. too much because he keeps finding new shows. Ooh. He's only three, so he shouldn't be watching as much as I let him watch, number one. But um, he keeps finding new stuff. Like I'll be like, oh, okay, fine. I resign myself to Paw Patrol. Like we watch a lot of Paw Patrol. Yay. Look, I but watched 16 hours find... of television a day when I was three and, and, yeah, and I only exactly. recently discovered that you can't, the person inside the TV set isn't real. You can't reach in and touch them. <laughs> yeah, no, he's watching bubble guppies and it's really terrible. So I, I need to find they, a way where I can shows, like, like whitelist. Recombinant DNA. Like these shows didn't even exist when my kids were a little like five yeah. ago, five years ago. Well, hey, so I had questions. Uh, I asked last night, I was like, all right, what's, what are people asking about? And my Twitter friend, Joe Rosensteel, had, uh, that is his real name, had a uh, variety of questions, which are all, I think, fantastic. We talked about the a la carte or bundle issue. So we don't have details, but it sounds like we're going to be in some bundle situation. Um, but the, uh, the, the two others he had, I thought were great were, are we going to have commercials because some Apple TV channels do have commercials and will Apple be selling user data to networks for targeting? Because, uh, it seems to me like that's a valuable part of the deal. And what the networks are going to want out of this is to be able to target people like we, it, and Apple's been notoriously shy on that. So what, what's your take? Cause, uh, uh, I, I have, watched very little network television or cable TV for years now. So when I watch Hulu, it kind of freaks me out a little bit. Hulu is annoying because you're paying for it and it's still showing you commercials. And I guess, you know, that's how TV always worked, but it's, it's, it's off-putting. Like if something's on, like I will only go to Hulu if I know like there's something I really, really, really want to watch on Hulu. But usually I'm trying to stay in Netflix and Amazon because it's just less annoying with no commercials. So I don't know. I mean, 
Apple has a really strong negotiating position because they already have, you know, a pretty good installed base. They've sold 25 million Apple TVs and they just lowered the price. So that's going to go up. And then when they announce this thing, they'll sell a ton more. So, but, you know, they also, I think the TV networks, the reason this is taking so long is because they're, the TV networks are, you know, wary of dealing with Apple because they see how much the music industry gave up and um, what, you know, what happened to them. So, yeah, I think Apple does not want to pass on users' information, um, maybe just data on what you watched. I don't know. But I, I doubt that Apple is going to be like, oh, yeah, like we'll sell all this, this data so you can target advertising to our customers because that's really not their style. That goes totally against their corporate philosophy. But that's, you know, I'm, I bet the TV networks are asking for just that. So who knows? Apple may have a way. To, I mean, you know, Apple of all companies, I think, would have the sensitivity of figuring out how to anonymize data and make it yeah. useful because they could have the double blind. And I know there are some systems like that already for Internet advertising or they claim to be where the uh, the information about an individual isn't employed. Rather, their characteristics are used and that's never sent to the advertiser. The advertiser says, I want to reach these people. And the company that's running the platform delivers that set. And, you know, that's part of a mutual set of obligations. And we know there are leaks of that kind of data. But but still, I think there's, I think, gosh, you know, and it's funny, like Apple's an enormous corporation. I don't want to give them more credence than, say, a Comcast, even though we all have reasons to dislike Comcast. <laughs> Those of us who are customers, uh, you know, maybe less so than Apple, but you know, they're still a giant corporation, and they have their own interests at heart, and their shareholders and executives and so forth. So I, I like to think that based on their behavior, they tend towards exactly what they say within a pretty decent approximation, which is not to share user data unnecessarily and to disclose when they do. And they've had some blips with that, like with the spotlight searching in Yosemite, where they weren't as careful as they should have been, and then they changed it when it was disclosed. I don't think that was a scam. I think they just didn't, I don't think they thought about it as well as they should. So in this case, I hope they're much more sensitive uh, if they do. But yeah, I, I'm not excited about paying for a bundle than seeing commercials. But you know, the, the big problem for me is what I want is BBC America. And I, it sounds like that's firmly in the cable side. And uh, yeah. e either I've got to use Tunnel Bear and, uh, or Cloak or something to uh, access BBC's iPlayer from these stores. But, but I really want to pay for content. And I think uh, most of us are accept the, the, the idea that there's some fair price to pay for this kind of material. We know there's huge costs to create it and we like high production values. Uh, so make it easy for me to pay and I'll pay and I'll probably watch more. Right now, I'm like I say, I'm kind of often confused about what's available and I wind up not watching anything and you know reading Twitter. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, I'm reading a lot more just in general. I, you know, it's great because so when I had cable, I would just kind of come in and turn it on, like put on Bravo or whatever, and just sort of let it squawk in the background while I, you know, went about my business. But now that I have to really seek out programs to watch, like I'm not really turning it on until I'm like, okay, this is what I'm going to watch. I'm going to watch this hour program, and I know like there's a hard stop when it's over, and I can choose to watch another one or I can walk away. But it's a lot more intentional. So the my big question about these streaming services is that they're almost too much like cable and that you're going back to kind of like a channel surfing, like let me just see what's on sort of thing because it's live TV. So the thing I like about my streaming services now is that it's a menu of choices and I start and stop it when I want. It's like a, the world's biggest DVR of stuff I didn't record. 
And when I had cable, you know, I pretty much just lived in my TiVo queue and just watched DVR stuff. But with Sling TV, like it's just on and it's it's playing and that's it. You can't, you know, hook a TiVo up to the internet and capture this stuff. So so yeah, I mean, the Apple TV has all these channels with on-demand programming now. <laughs> I would really like to pay a small fee to get into those, you know, to unlock all the stuff that's in there in those menus. I don't, I would, that would be more appealing to me to just like, oh, here's, you know, A&E live and you can watch whatever's on A&E right now. Because that brings us back to like appointment viewing, which, you know, I haven't really done since before I got my TiVo back in like 2006 in the dark ages. Yeah, I think it's all going to happen. I feel like we're watching a slow motion crash and, you know, there's this really weird aspect of it, which is due to court settlements and some regulations, uh, the TV networks, uh, you know, looked like they were going to crash because of satellite television before um, digital cable became a big thing. Uh, because it looked like people would shift to either not watching broadcast at all or watching like a national broadcast channel, not a local one. And then all kinds of deals were cut. More capacity for channels was added. And now uh, cable and satellite operators and, and uh, IPTV operators like uh, AT&T and Verizon in some markets, they uh, have, they pay these huge fees, huge fees to local and national uh, broadcast. And uh, it's part of this deal where if you want to carry the local channel and you want um, – you know, one of the dancing programs or singing programs, which I don't even know the names of. The Voice. Let's go to The Voice. That's one of them. Uh, one of those dancing programs. America's Got Talent, maybe? <laughs> Something like that. Uh, you have to, then the, the, the operators, the, the television providers have to pay these fees if they want to carry the channels. And it actually has made essentially local television survive. So when you have access to everything that's on cable and all the programming, but not the news and the other paraphernalia of local programming, it actually could kill local TV unless there's some very special uh, arrangement going on here that requires local TV to be included and get payments. Um, so we'll see. Apple TV, that's the other thing is these internet packages probably bypass all the local rules about television provision because it's completely over the internet and it's not separately provisioned as a separate wire, which is covered by different regulations or even a logical thing. So Comcast brings one coaxial cable into your house and the voice, data, and television are provisioned separately logically over the same wire and each is subject to a different set of regulations. This Apple TV, Sling, and so forth, they're not subject, and HBO Now, they're not subject to those rules and, and that will change things. Well, before we get on to our next segment, uh, I would like to let people know that, you know, uh, if you want to reach the talented, interested, uh, handsome, gorgeous listeners to this program, <laughs> we know how you look. We know Brilliant. who you are. Brilliant. We're, uh, not Courteous. subject to flattery, modest uh, listeners. Uh, you can go to themidroll.com. They handle our ad sales for us, and you can reach all the people listening right now, including yourself, uh, which is kind of tautological, but there you go. You want to reach yourself with your own ads? Fine. Go to themidroll.com and you can find out more about advertising on the Macworld podcast. We've been going on for 448 episodes and, and we've got thousands more in us. So, so take a look. So is the Apple Watch bloated before it ever shipped? Well, that's actually not that controversial position, I think. Uh, and maybe all of us on this podcast share it. We're joined by John Phillips, who's the editor-in-chief of Macworld, PC World, TechHive, and GreenBot. Hi, John. Hey, Glenn. How are you? Good. And uh, we thought we'd uh, put you in the hot seat to talk about this uh, story you wrote recently. Uh, the Apple Watch is flirting with feature bloat, putting sublime simplicity at risk, which you can find on Macworld.com. Uh, so uh, uh, hasn't shipped yet. I haven't had my hands on one of them. Susie has. And um, and 
maybe too much. Maybe Apple's put too much into one product at the launch. Yeah, I think so. Um, you don't need to have had used the Apple Watch to have comments on the feature set. And uh, I've been reviewing smartwatches for the last couple of years. Um, I'm pretty familiar with what they do well and what they don't do well. And one of the things they, they can't handle very well is a lot of of features and apps on such a small, tiny UI. So it's, it's my thesis that uh, just based on advertised features alone, the Apple Watch is trying to do too much. And it's also borrowing a number of features from uh, the Samsung smartwatches, which have really been uh, poorly received. They haven't sold well. And um, from certainly tech journalists, but also regular users will report that some of the headline features on the Samsung watches, which Apple has has adopted as well, they just don't work very well. So my position is that Apple should have gone with a much more simple device uh, and sort of explored an addition by subtraction kind of model. Uh, The heart rate monitor, I think people will find that it's going to be useless. It might have utility as heart rate data feeds into... uh, other uh, health and fitness apps on the watch. But uh, th- those uh, heart rate spot checks, they just don't do anything. There- there's no reason for them. And I think by having a feature like that, you actually detract from the elegance of the watch. Then the other thing I sort of called out in my in my uh, op-ed piece was the voice calls on your wrist. Not only is it uncomfortable <laughs> to hold your wrist up to make a call, you also look pretty silly doing that in public. You're, you're not Dick Tracy. Uh, you're not a comic book hero. Your, your arm gets tired, too, is what I heard. Ben, ben Thompson was writing about how after the demo was going on after the uh, Apple event for a bit, he's like, but, you know, after a while, I'm like, I need to put my arm down. And, you know, I don't think he had a gold <laughs> one on, but it was still like, you know, it's, it's an unnatural position to kind of suspend it in air. Your arm does get tired, and here's, here, but it gets a little bit worse, at least with Samsung. You know, the, the jury is still out. The jury, jury hasn't even convened on the Apple Watch. We ha- You know, no one's reviewed them yet. But... Uh, with the Samsung watches and the voice calls, the, the speakers on these devices, they're so small and underpowered that as soon as you get into any kind of crowded environment or a little bit of wind noise, you can't hear your uh, the person you're, you're having your conversation with. So now you're shouting into your wrist. Uh, <laughs> making yourself even more conspicuous. Oh my God, I'm just imagining people walking down the street in San Francisco. What's that? Bo-? I mean, it's going to be worse than the... Oh my gosh, that's a yeah. hilarious yeah. image. Yeah, so, Old man yells so, at cloud. Yeah, I... I actually think the the things that people and I wrote this in my in my essay. I think the features that will be a hit that Samsung's not doing include like the um, I forgot the specific name of the feature, but sending your heart rate to a loved one. Digital touch, Digital yeah. Control. So the watch to watch communication. Yeah, it's pretty neat. Drawing doodles or or even uh, custom animated emoji. I think those are the little surprise and delight feature, uh, surprise and delight features that Apple. Uh, does so well that that will translate pretty well onto a smartwatch. <laughs> I, I have this thing sitting behind me. I, I have a cautionary tale uh, shelf behind me in my office, and it's got things like the QCAT and uh, and so forth. And it also has the NAB, NASBAG tag tag, which is was a Wi-Fi connected plastic bunny rabbit. 
And when you moved its ears, it would move the ears mechanically on someone else's rabbit, and you could do things like talk into it. I had this strange image that the Apple Watch is like the NASBAG tag. <laughs> it's like yeah. this strange plastic bunny rabbit you're interacting with that remotely interacts with other people. It's like a little awkward, ahead of its time, and uh, now it's just smaller on your wrist. Version two, I want to be able to use my watch to talk to bunny rabbits. Oh, that would be a great feature. But you know, when they first were showing the, the images of the watch at the introduction, I thought that display of like a million tiny icons, that freaked me out. Like I have a little, um, it's that over choice thing. Like I don't yeah. know that I want to see 50 icons at once, no matter how clever the selection and launching mechanism is. That seemed like a bad sign to me that they hadn't settled on uh, they were settled on trying to figure out how to give you as much as you could as opposed to as little as they needed to. Yeah, it, it freaks me out too. And I, 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 I'm not sure if I committed this to my Samsung Galaxy Gear review or if I just tweeted it or something. But I actually think going with an app model is a pretty risky um, approach for any smartwatch. You, you, they're not smartphones. They, they just don't have the screen real estate. And so when you start to look to your watch for, you know, to penetrate deep down into individual apps, and, and maybe this isn't where Apple is going, we'll see. But that, that's, that's too much to do on, on such a small interface. So um, I, I think these, you know, having used other competing smartwatches for a number of years, I think uh, you want your key killer apps. You need Twitter. You need maybe some kind of Facebook app. Um, but I think even going so far as trying to get email on your on your wrist is is overdoing it. Um, but I'm looking for simple notifications, certainly text messaging, and it's got to work. So we'll see how well the microphone picks up um, uh, Siri. So that's another thing that that Samsung hasn't been able to pull off so well. Well, this is the difference between, let's say, capabilities and presentation, right? Like you don't, obviously, the way you're talking about it, you have no objection to the fact that it's including a heart rate sensor. That seems like a feature that needs to be in a watch because it can be used by apps. But the presentation, like the fact that you might want to check it, I know some people do that, but in general, it's more like an issue of part of your um, what do they call it? Quantified self. Like you want to data mine what you're doing. And uh, I, I joined that cardiac research project that's part of uh, Research Kit um, out of curiosity because I've got, I have a stent. I have some metal in my body that helps uh -huh. me stay alive, which is wonderful. And uh, I thought it'd be great to help contribute to that research since I'm in that state already. And, um, and so that's great. Like I'm glad it's, you know, I'm glad I'll have the watch. It'll collect more information. This could actually contribute to my overall cardiovascular health and long term. Awesome. But do I want to see it? And, and the same thing, like the ability, all the different capabilities to make a phone call. Well, it's great. It's got a microphone in it and a speaker and can relay through uh, audio to your phone. But do we need it presented as a phone at this point? You know, so that it's so the, you're not really making, I guess I want to say, are you making hardware objections or really the presentation of capability objections? Yeah, I'm concerned that Apple may have fallen in the trap of, well, other smartwatches do this, so we need to do it as well. I, I think, again, you know, haven't used it yet, <laughs> but just based on what we're reading, um, I think a, a more simple uh, feature limited approach might ultimately serve them better. And you also talk about heart rate. And I mean, the, the, the thing that it's really interesting that, app, that Apple is not promising um, real time accurate heart rate data during the the heat of exercise mm -hmm. because because I've also done a lot of work on heart rate sensors and and from what I could tell there's nothing about Apple's technology that beats Samsung's 
or Beats, uh, other companies that ha- have heart rate sensors. And most of them do not promise really accurate heart rate reading. So I think that the data that the sensor can pull is going to be useful to sort of indicate general trends. And it could certainly get an accurate heart rate while you're uh, at rest. But this is never going to be a replacement for like a chest strap monitor or um, like the one wearable that seems to have beaten this problem is uh, the basis peak, which it takes sort of a watch uh, form factor. And it's gripped to your wrist. It has a really big sensor. Um, And they I've tested it and they they get pretty close to the same kind of real time accurate data you would get from a chest strap. But. I don't think Apple Watch is getting there. And, you know, it's a good thing they're not promising that. So, you know, heart rates are a really tricky thing. And um, but, yeah, we'll see how it plays out in all the health kit apps. Yeah, because you would have to balance the size you would need and the sensors you would need for that kind of accurate tracking with something that you'd want to wear all day. Yeah. Um, that, that would just be tricky. And there's a lot of research going on. Uh, and some of it is inside Apple now, too, to use other kinds of, I guess, less obvious measures. So, in fact, I think in the uh, announcement um, last week, they showed in uh, one of the research kit examples about using uh, breathing into a phone. Uh, And then we know there's all kinds of add-ons for phones now that are being used for telemedicine and in-person medicine. And uh, it's funny, telemedicine, (laughs) by by telephone, of course, or uh, smartphone. Uh, But there's a lot of work that's gone into using indirect signs. So I know there's a researcher at the University of Washington, for instance, he's a MacArthur uh, Fellowship recipient, uh, and he and his group, one of the things they'd worked on was just ambient breathing and being able to use that to determine things like asthma, other conditions. Uh, and and uh, there's tons of research going on all over the world about this. So I have to assume this is, again, one of these, I don't know if it's a pilot fish thing or what, but it's more like... Uh, as with the MacBook, the new MacBook, there's features in it that seem maybe they're too far out ahead and Apple's figuring out what works. But the minimalism of the MacBook, like, okay, here's the choices we made. One port, uh, you know, we're this and that, right? They made uh, distinct hard choices. And um, the watch does seem very unapple like in that they said, okay, it's going to do everything every smartphone or smartwatch has done till now. Plus, we're going to do all these other things as well. Plus, we're determining price sensitivity and elasticity in the market. And um, it doesn't worry me about the sales. It worries me more about the satisfaction, like how much are people actually going to like these things compared to other Apple products because there's so much. uh, It's such a balancing act. And we've seen Apple lately not manage the balancing act of software and hardware and services as well as we think they should be able to execute. Yeah, and with wearables, you really have to nail that. Um, I think John mentioned in his piece that the uh, the abandonment rate for wearables is something like a third. Like yeah. a lot of people like will buy you know a tracker or a smartwatch and just stop wearing it. Like you need to have a phone, you need to have a computer. These are kind of non negotiable. Um, but you don't need to have you know a separate thing on your wrist. You just don't. So as soon as you get friction from oh I have to charge it too much. Oh like the the heart rate thing is just annoying. Um, you know whatever bugs you about it, after it bugs you a few times, you're just going to give up in in a way that you wouldn't give up with your computer or your phone. So... So yeah, Apple, I mean, it's it's risky to, to put so many things in knowing that they all have to like really work perfectly or people are going to, you know, throw this expensive thing in a drawer <laughs> and then never come back. That's right. You know, it, it's like when Samsung screws up and a feature doesn't work and, a, a, you know, some 
some um, enthusiasts, some Samsung enthusiasts complain about it on forums. You know, it it makes the tech news, but it doesn't it doesn't blow up in the larger mainstream uh, conversation. When Apple makes a mistake, let's go back to Maps. It becomes something that you read about. Yeah. You know, on it's it's the evening news and it's on the Daily Mail, and you know, there's jokes about it everywhere. Nine phones bent, and the local TV station oh. sent a reporter <laughs> right. over here to so, interview me on TV right. about it, and I was like, I don't know, don't sit on your phone. Right. So that was a that was a completely unfair. You know, uh, uh, I don't want to say an attack, but you know, so they're called to. I'm sure a lot of phones bend as well, but Apple was the one who who got all the press on it. And I think that you know, with with a smartwatch where there's already uh, some you know consumer suspicions about it, um, you you really want to nail every single feature and button everything up. And you know, so we'll see. But uh, you know, based on my experience with smartwatches, they don't they don't really work that well in a lot of ways. Here, here's the thing: is we know the ultimate outcome of this is either uh, smart contact lenses or smart glasses. I mean, Google glasses. Kind <laughs> oh of, no! But no, it, it is. Uh, and I, I'm, I'm saying this absolutely seriously: is you actually don't want something on your wrist. You want something that is a small, occupied field of vision, not persistent. If you're wearing glasses, they it can detect your optic nerve. It can detect your health from the optic nerve, pulse, uh, probably blood pressure. There's an enormous amount that begins with something that's worn on your head <laughs> and as much as people don't like it um, the, you know the original project again at the University of Washington to go you know go huskies here in Seattle uh, the, <laughs> uh, the fellow who was hired uh, by Google to run Google Glass originally was researching on contact lenses and it made some progress in being able to embed circuitry and technology to contact lenses so some of that sounds I mean I think Google Glass it basically spoiled the idea of it for the moment but it'll come back when it's completely invisible um, and then it will be available all the time it doesn't have to have a camera that points outwards it doesn't have to do the huge heads-up display and be so overt but uh, but really uh, as a health monitor and as something that you don't have to consider whether you're wearing or not glasses or some kind co- or contact lenses are going to be a much less obtrusive uh, way to achieve the same thing. They just have to figure out how to stick enough battery in that form factor. <laughs> yeah. And also some kind of uh, sort of direct, you know, direct feed from your brain to the display to tell it when to turn on and off. One of the issues with Google, with Glass, which, you know, I've spent a good amount of time with, I, I own one, uh, you're, it, it, it's, it's always on and you have to look up in your peripheral vision to see it. And that causes eye strain. Uh, I like the idea of getting a display on a contact lens, but I'm not sure I want that head-up display in my vision all the time. So how does my brain tell the lens, okay, go on, go off, without even a voice command? So that's a little trick they need to figure out, but if they could, that would be cool. Yeah, I think, well, the, the future, unfortunately, is going to be something we can't predict and will terrify us. And our children will be explaining it to us, Dad, Mom, just do, you know, you just got to blink twice and then look to the right. Oh, I can't you remember that. Yeah. Uh, John, thanks for joining us to talk about <laughs> yeah. bloated watch. I recommend Alka-Seltzer for your bloated watch uh, op-ed <laughs> in uh, take two, and maybe it'll help. Okay. Thanks, guys. Thanks. Well, next up is uh, is something that's very simple, uh, is, is not bloated, which is uh, the USB-C adapter, USB Type-C, found on the new MacBook and now increasingly in other products. Susie, it seems like people get awfully upset at this one port. I don't think I've seen so much anger about one port uh, maybe ever. Maybe maybe even Thunderbolt was introduced, but they didn't destroy other ports when they introduced it. Have, have you been right. tracking how people are um, seemingly kind of mad about this MacBook port? Well, I mean, people are always mad about something. And yeah, right now it's, it's the Mac <laughs> port. Um, That's true. 
Yeah. So yeah, when they when they pulled in Thunderbolt, when they pulled in Thunderbolt, yeah, there weren't a lot of accessories for it yet. But it was also you know it already worked with all the Display Port monitors out there, and they didn't get rid of the other ports that were on your Mac. So you know you needed adapters to do a couple of things. If you had FireWire, you needed a Thunderbolt to FireWire adapter. But it wasn't like you absolutely need an adapter for every single thing you're gonna do. And that is kind of the story with this MacBook so far. Like it comes with a USB-C charging cable and that's it. So if you want to plug in anything from a thumb drive to a display to anything that has to be physically connected, it's going to take an adapter. And they're all sold separately. And (laughs) there have been like three of them announced so far. One is just a USB type A kind of, um, you know, port. So if you're going to plug in a hard drive or anything with a USB. That one's 19 bucks. I kind of feel like it should come in the box, but it doesn't. Um, And then there's two different um, multi-port adapters. One is for VGA displays. One is for... um, digital displays it has an hdmi port and that you know will let you do the USB-C pass through charging you also do get a little uh you know pity usb type a port so you can plug one thing in and you, you get that monitor connection but then those are like 79 dollars each that's kind of a lot so i understand that people are upset but the nice thing about apple going with USB-C over something like thunderbolt is that USB-C is going to be supported by a lot more companies. Thunderbolt never really saw wide adoption. So, I mean, the cables like were like 50 bucks a cable for a while and like they have a little chip in them and they're 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 fancy cables. So, you know, I get it, but but USB-C you're going to be able to pick up like a cheaper third-party adapter um People have been wondering, where is our DisplayPort adapter? Exactly. And then a few <laughs> days after Apple announced the MacBook, Google announced their new Chromebook, and they have a DisplayPort adapter. So that one's only like $35. And you know, we'll definitely test it out and let you know if it works for the MacBook. It should. Well, that's, but what, that's what I'm hearing, because all the, the, the first USB-C adapters, now I forget, now I don't know yet if Google's does this or not, Apple adopted, it's, this is what's confusing people, I think, well, there's multiple things that are confusing, and Apple could have uh, messaged it better, instead they're, they're kind of seeding out a little information here and there, and people are doing early testing, but USB-C is a cable format, right? And so it right. encapsulates different standards, it'll support USB 2 connections, it'll let, uh, uh, it will... Uh, support USB 3, but there's two yes. kinds of USB 3. There's 3.0 and 3.1. This is, and it'll also support, I'm sorry, display port can be encapsulated entirely inside of USB-C. And that was worked out at the same time that the spec was shipped in September. So it was all coordinated. But the thing that's confusing is USB-C technically is a 10 gigabit per second standard raw rate. And the version Apple is using is five because it's actually essentially USB 3.0 inside of 3.1. It's like some subtype and Apple is sort of squeaking by with being able to use an older controller on the uh, logic board for the MacBook. And people have dissected this already and said, oh, they're using, and I, I can't, I mean, I don't think our listeners care the specific model numbers. You can find them online, but the that they're using this uh, controller that will support two USB-C connections at five gigabits per second. Uh, and uh, it's possible they're dedicating some capacity of that controller so that they can only use a one port. And like that would actually be the only reasonable explanation for one port versus two because they could have had two 
even with the way uh, how slim they designed it, they have room um, on both sides for it. So it's possible yeah. their specific set of choices in controller board led them to have to have one port because they're trying to support display port inside of that in such a way that they're using kind of the controller capacity. I don't know. I've had discussions with people online and it's, it's not entirely clear, but, uh, but yeah, I think the thing you're talking about Apple, they sometimes get out ahead of a standard like USB uh, 1.2 and, uh, and people freak out because they're like, look, there's nothing that supports this. And then you wait a little bit and, and there is, and, and USB-C is, a, is the biggest industry-wide effort that I think I've seen in my in, like entire history in computing to get around a new cable standard in a way that everyone's behind. So all the major computer, I should say all the major computer makers, mo mobile makers, uh, Google, Apple, uh, Intel, uh, there's so many companies who are saying USB-C is the way forward for this kind of task. And, um, and I think you're right. We have that question. Is this really standardized? They say it is, but we don't know until you get a test a Google cable on an Apple device, will it really work? We, we believe it will. It should. Uh, if it doesn't, it's probably out of compliance. So they'd have to, you know, do a recall. Um, but that's going to be interesting when we, when in, you know, uh, April 10th, I think is the uh, order date. I don't think it's the shipping date. Yeah. So no, it says ships the 10th. They're just not doing pre-orders. Yeah. So not doing, oh, wait. So we have uh, almost a month still, and we've already seen uh, Belkin announced a series of cables that will be out in early summer that are all USB-C to something, including USB-C. And they're yep. going to be inexpensive. They're $20 to $30 cables. And it's like every kind. Google's got its adapters. I just got a, a press release from a company that makes batteries. It's doing a Kickstarter in the summer instead of just making the thing. Um, but it's going to make an extra external battery that you'll be able to plug the uh, MacBook into or other, yeah, I know, I know, right. This is, well, this is the hidden story, right? Like, yes, one port. Okay. Wish they had two, but USB-C allows, <laughs> it's a standard thing. It'll have two next year is the thing. Like, just don't get I this know. one. It'll have two in like a year. Or two. I know this I'm, is the first, this will keep coming. Right. So it's the early, the first MacBook Air I thought was ridiculous. I really yeah, little it. trap door. That was come terrible. On. And one USB so port. Bad. You're never yeah. going to get this thing to work. And people bought it because it fit a really particular niche and it helped Apple figure out what the next model did. So you don't have to buy the MacBook if you, and it's, you know, it's, it's got a retina screen, but you don't have to buy it. You're still allowed to buy the non-retina MacBook Air, which I expect will disappear or the retina MacBook Pro if that fits your needs you or you're allowed. Disappear? Wait, no, Apple does not have hired goons breaking into your house to make you buy this right now. Um, <laughs> hired goons. <laughs> hired goons. Uh, but so, because uh, I was waiting for this. I want a retina uh, MacBook Air and apparently they're never going to make one. The MacBook is probably the only, it's going to be the low end thing. So in within a year, there will be a, maybe there'll be a nine. I mean, I don't, I know, you never want to guess on price and they may keep the MacBook Air around because of price for longer than anyone would like, kind of the way they kept the iPad 2 around. It could be like the long. college kid computer. Remember yeah. like the, the plastic MacBook, like the MacBook Air could kind of take the place in the lineup that the plastic MacBook had. I really don't want them to get rid of the MacBook Air. No, I they could have a, I love them. They're $900 the is the entry level price. It's a great machine. Machine. It's you know it's essentially it's competing against some level of the Chromebook or similar you know netbooky things, but it's a Mac and um, that's as low. I don't think Apple ever go below nine hundred bucks. Maybe they'll go to eight hundred because they can make uh, you know two three hundred dollars on that device, maybe a little more uh, because they perfected it and all the parts are super cheap um, for them relative to the more expensive things. But I think the MacBook has to drop a little bit. Like I wouldn't be surprised if they introduce a couple models in it and this becomes a, an eleven ninety nine thing. Then they have all their matrix. Filled out, but but anyway, that the external batteries thing. I know that's something that you're you're cheering. You you miss being able to that's plug in big. a yeah. portable battery. 
I had remember when you could get a hypermac battery that had the MagSafe connector, and then they got sued and they oh, had to stop selling briefly. that. I still had one. I used it was to test pre MagSafe. I used to test batteries sometimes, and I would travel with like a two pound battery that was the size of a. Oh, it was what, so heavy. Yeah, and it, it was PowerBook size, right? So I think I had my titanium maybe, and that. Yeah. But, but then I could get through a cross country flight without charging. And now, I mean, th- this this is where it breaks down, right? Is that a lot of people that Apple. It, it thinks we'll buy the MacBook. The people it's targeted at are people who don't have a good opportunity to charge during the day. They have very few opportunities. So what they're going to do is have nothing plugged in or they're going to plug in their iPhone to it for tethering or charging. And that's all they're ever going to do with it. And they might get the $19 adapter, which you're right, should ship with it uh, and plug in a some kind of external thing. But, the, but nobody's, who's using, uh, except old people like us, Susie, who's using, <laughs> who's using flash drives? Um, who's using a lot of externals? You're Every not plugging PR in peripherals. Person. Everything's wireless, yeah. scanners, printers. It's all in the cloud. It's all in the cloud. So, I mean, I think the big use is, and I keep seeing this said, and I think it's absolutely true, uh, is people doing um, video editing and other kinds of editing where they're going to be using external drives and they need, uh, they're going to need Thunderbolt for that. And um, the, one of the pieces I wrote for Macworld about this, I think the the first one about the connector, it's you know it's the new connector. Get used to it. People are like, no, no, the iMac is not going to lose Thunderbolt. Like this is not. And I think I think I've come Mac around. Mac Pro really needs Thunderbolt too. I don't think Thunderbolt's. No, I think yeah, the Mac need. Pro has to have Thunderbolt, and Thunderbolt yeah. three is apparently in the pipeline as well. So you know, as Intel up, it's its chipsets and controllers like. I can't. I cannot imagine if they they can't. USB does not. USB three point one does not compete with Thunderbolt for throughput. So Thunderbolt has to stay in the Mac Pro for that particular market. Otherwise, those machines become non valuable for its target market. The the iMac. I've thought. I think I missed the transition a bit. I think it's such more of a professional machine now, even though it has a low price, that I suspect they'll just add USB-C. They'll convert their USB Type A to C or something like that. But I wonder if it'll always keep one Thunderbolt for um, for editing as well, because the cost is so small. So then you say, well, the MacBook Pro probably needs Thunderbolt too. Yeah. Three. And then would the Mac Mini not have it? Would that suddenly be the differentiating factor is you get like three USB-C ports or four or something on the Mac Mini and nothing else. Uh, and so you have the MacBook and Mac Mini with this port and the uh, the other all the other machines, iMac, MacBook Pro and Mac Pro uh, still retain Thunderbolt. And I think that's going to be the interesting split. Yeah. Um, but external batteries, yeah, it'll be exciting. So you can charge. I think that's a great point, though. You can charge anything bidirectionally with USB-C. It's part of the spec. So anything ostensibly in spec, you can plug in into any device that does it, and it should put a charge back to all the other devices. Yeah, that's great. Like I prefer carrying external u- little USB external batteries um, to charge my phone over something like a Mophie because then when you upgrade your phone you don't have to also upgrade your Mophie case and it can it can juice up whatever you've got so you know I can juice up my Fitbit I can if I have the adapter I can juice up my iPad my iPhone all from this one little battery so being able to actually top off my MacBook with the same battery or you know a slightly larger battery would be awesome I would I would be really excited about that so yeah I think Apple knows what they're doing and I 
I think in a few years, you know, <laughs> this freak out is going to seem as silly as all the other freak outs when they got rid of optical drives and like who misses optical drives? I don't. Um, but but yeah, I think they could have, you know, mitigated the freak out a little bit by um, saying that they would pack in one of those USB adapters with the MacBook. And also if they just put a DisplayPort adapter in the store, oh, even if I they know. were like, look, it's not shipping for a while, but we've got it. Because everyone's asking. They were like, you can't even hook up the Thunderbolt dis- display that Apple sells. Like Apple's best display cannot hook up to Apple's newest, coolest notebook. And that's just weird. It's it's so, maddening for them to do it because it, it provokes... I, you know, I, there's a little bit of suspicion. I was talking to your friend of mine, Jason Snell, about this uh, a couple days ago. And uh, it was like, did Apple actually want to create a kerfuffle about the port? Was this a design decision? <laughs> They're trolling also, us all. Well, well, a little bit, though, is that they wanted people to talk about it and think about it. And it got more attention for the MacBook. If there were two ports, we'd hardly be talking about it, I swear. That's true. It did steal the story. <laughs> We uh, got so much more attention on the MacBook stuff than on I the Apple Watch it's... stuff. People were like, yeah, yeah, watch, very expensive. Yeah. Tell me more about this MacBook. It's very interesting. So I think it was, and I also appreciate that they're trying to push the envelope, but uh, if you want to hear, I think uh, it was about 50 minutes of discussion about the one port issue and the thinness, you should listen to Accidental Tech Podcast because John Syracuse and his oh, gang. Oh, I have to uh, hear that. It was, it was wonderful. So if you want to deep dive, go into it. And I have to say, so John's question, I think we were talking, I was mentioning it here before, was it was, the question isn't why one port. The question is, why not two ports? It's really, you could have no ports, which is impossible, or two ports, but why one port, right? Why one port? And I think that is the real question. And that, for him, he doesn't have a, a satisfying answer. If it turns out the controller they used and the ability to support DisplayPort restricted their capability with the existing controller they could have shipped with to support two ports. That is like the controller could do, you know, X channels and it's devoted half of them to display port over the one port, whatever. Like there's something like that. If that's the answer, that's the answer. The other is it was just a design decision. They wanted to push as far. They said, look, Tim, we could have one port in this thing. He says, one port? Yes, hear us out. This will make people rethink what they're doing and it'll focus on the mobile audience and it just kind of brings to a head what this model about. And he's like, great, you sold me. We'll, you know, make some adapters. Like that could have been the whole discussion. I don't know. Yeah. But, um, well, isn't the first generation of any gadget just the most expensive to produce too? And maybe like, you know, once they get the supply kind of up and running on this MacBook, like it'll be more trivial to add another port in the next generation without eating into their profit margin. I think there's a lot of money on this hardware. Oh, yeah. I mean, right. They probably make 20% or 15 or 20% on the first edition, first model out of the gate, and then they get up to their usual 30 something percent to average out right, the line. Yeah. I mean, that's that's their game. I wrote this piece for Tidbits years ago that was that uh, about the incrementalism approach, and which you know a lot of people have written about incrementalism. But it's it's the reason that Apple doesn't change the price point for existing products; it ups the capabilities, and then it shifts yeah. the older version into maintenance. Is that they've now the older version now costs so much less to make; they make a higher margin on the older product than the newer one, and the older one seems more affordable, and it is by comparison, even though it's you know cons- sort of outdated. Uh, but yeah, I, I just think I think this is an attempt. Again, they're they're sort of probing the market. And gosh, you know, if in six months or a year they say, okay, okay, we heard you. Yeah, one port was it was a noble experiment, but you really need two. But what I what I keep hearing from people on Twitter and on other websites, much more technical ones that you know get into the protocol level stuff and the boards and so forth, is that Apple took the board that was best that was available now as the controller. I was sorry, they took the controller to put on their logic board. And what is very likely is that the next, I think there's even a roadmap out there. The next controller will be much more sophisticated and allow more capability. So they went early 
they're shipping before everyone else does. They commanded the attention around it and the whole ecosystem will be built up and then they get to take advantage uh, of that in the next model they ship. Maybe, maybe. Well, I think we've, I hope th uh, this will be the last we talk about that adapter for a bit. We'll see. There's always more. Well, I mean, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll get one soon and then oh, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll get to talk about it from a perspective of having actually lived with it. Yeah, I can't wait to hear the uh, the review for the for the MacBook because I, you know the, too. the thing that people aren't talking about very much. I mean, some people are is the processor speed and and uh, it's 8 gigabytes, how's that going to work on this device? And there's like a lot of parameters there, you know, how will it feel? Like is this going to feel substantively faster than the 11-inch MacBook Air given the trade-off? So so we'll find out. Well, yeah. we'll be back to talk about that and more. Well, not that. That'll be a few weeks away more soon. Susie, great to talk to you again this week. Yeah, you too. This was fun. Great. You've been listening to the Macworld Podcast, episode 448 for March 18th, 2015. Thanks for joining us. You can find us, of course, at Macworld.com. And we're eager to get your feedback, topics you'd like us to talk about, and other questions you have about the Mac. So stay in touch, and we'll talk to you next week.